Hey, good evening and welcome to this online gathering of Outfitter Church. My name is Tyler and I am the lead pastor. And uh, I just wanted to, to welcome all of our guests that are viewing this. Uh, thank you so much for spending your evening with us, church. Uh, just know that we love you and we miss you dearly. Um, looking forward uh, to the reopening of, of, uh, of our America, right? <laughs> so the reopening of America, as President Trump calls it. Um, looking forward to that and cannot wait to be with you face to face. We are, um, we have hit third. We are almost home. We, we've been spending the last several weeks in the book of First Peter with a sermon series called Exiles. And um, it's been a great journey. And, and we are now, we have this sermon and then our concluding overview sermon next week. And then we have completed the book of First Peter. And so, uh, if you would, please, as we pick up in chapter 5, turn with me in your Bibles to First Peter Chapter 5, um, verses 6 through 11. 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, as you're turning your Bibles or pulling it up on your phone or your iPad, um, I just want to take this time as we do in every service that if you do not have a physical copy of God's Word, we want to provide that for you. Um, it is the foundation of which we know God and everything that we believe and, and base our lives upon. So, um, if you do not have a physical copy of God's Word, I would love for you to know. We, we ordered two Bibles for people um, just yesterday. And so, looking forward uh, to that. If you, if you need that, just message us your name and your address, and we will be happy to buy you a copy of God's Word and, and mail it to you. So, um, now join me in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on Him because He cares about you. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To Him be dominion forever. Amen. Join me as, as we pray before we begin. Father, I love you, and God, you've, you've blessed me through your word this week. Now, God, I pray as I, as I miss my people, I pray, God, that this would be an encouragement to their souls. Father, remind me of their faces and of what you're doing in their lives and of our, our regular attenders that are with us every week. God, I just pray that you would help me to think of them as I preach today. And God, I pray that you would help us all to continually miss one another even more and more as, as, as we're not able to meet. God, we know you're sufficient in this time. But I just pray that, God, you would, you would just leave them on my heart. And God, that you would bless our church and everyone who's listening to this message by your word and by the glorious hope that is in this passage. Father, thank you. Help me preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if that prayer was more for me or for you, but I miss you. And uh, I just wanted to 
ask the Lord for help to preach his word tonight. And so uh, we start out, Peter starts out, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Now, this passage is really, really cool the way it's set up. There's three big commands, right? There's three imperatives, so a a challenge and a command. Um, And then it closes, verses 10 and 11, um, is is an encouraging word. So it's it's the last thing. Literally, other than that, he signs his signature um, and sends some greetings. But this is the final closing of his letter. And so... He has three commands and a word of comfort, and so we're going to walk through those um, and, and, and <clears throat> excuse me, and, and explain those as we go. And so he begins off. He says, "Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that He may exalt you at the proper time." Now, there's that therefore, and we've talked about that. The therefore links back to what he just said. Well, what he just said um, in verse five is that God resists the proud but gives grace. To the humble. And so he starts out and he says, humble yourselves. This is one of the imperatives. It's in the imperative tense. And so it's saying, you must humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Why does he begin that way? Again, thinking back to their context, they're they're being persecuted. The society does not like Christ. The society does not like Christianity. They're there due to persecution. So they're exiles. They're foreigners. They're not native to that area. Um, and so they're, they're the newbies and no one likes them. And therefore, a lot of times whenever someone's being persecuted or picked on and disrespected, you, you don't have control of that situation. And so what we oftentimes are inclined to do is, is to me, two things. We either cave and we give up, or we fight back and we retaliate. Well, both of those would be a sin for these exiled believers. So to fight back and to retaliate with physical harm towards those that are harming you, that would, that would go against what Peter said earlier. Don't suffer because you did something wrong. So that would then be a sin and, and, and not the right avenue for these believers to go. Well, then you could give up your faith altogether. And, and so therefore, you'd no longer be persecuted but then you would have abandoned your faith in, in the God who gave His life for you. And so they don't have either of those options. So what is the option? God says, humble yourselves. Again, it's a command. And to humble yourself is to, to surrender and to put yourself underneath the, the leadership and the, the lordship of someone else. And so, so he, he, this passage is saying, um, you must submit yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of of God. See, this this humbling of yourself is not the coward's way out of a dangerous situation. No, what, what Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying to us is that submitting yourself, making yourself submit to the mighty hand of God is not a coward's way out. It is the most strategic, it is the most powerful, and it is the most godly decision for a Christian to do in light of persecution, hardship, and chaos. And don't, don't give up because it got tough, and don't Take over and try and have control because therefore God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, because God's grace is with those who are humble, make yourselves submit under the mighty hand of God. It's not a coward's way out. It is a strategic act of believing in God. And so it says the mighty hand of God, which makes me think back to the Old Testament Um, in the book of Exodus. Exodus. 
the guy named Moses. Now, I'm fixing to quote a couple things, and you may not be familiar with all of them. That's okay. Um, we're all growing in our understanding of the scriptures. These are some of my favorite stories. And so, um, anyway, so, so you think about Moses, and, and uh, the nation of Israel was enslaved to Egypt for 400 years. God raises up the man, Moses. Moses then goes to Pharaoh, and it's the same mighty hand of God that, that enacts the 10 plagues against one of the most rebellious, God-hating kings and leaders in all of human history and he finally breaks this man's hard heart and and he and he lets God's people go and and so the nation of Israel is fleeing from slavery from Egypt and then Pharaoh changes his mind and chases after them and so what's amazing is this this mighty hand of God is when they came to the Red Sea it was by the mighty hand of God that he split the Dadgum Ocean and the entire nation of Israel walks through on dry land and there's that same mighty hand of God that when the Egyptian army chasing after the Israelites to take them back, go into the ocean. The mighty hand of God closes the ocean on top of them and kills them, protecting his people from people who hate him. And so that's the mighty hand of God. I also think about in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three of the most fun names to say in all the Bible, the mighty hand of God. These three men were told by the pagan God or the pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, you will bow and worship this golden this golden idol that I have created, this is your God. And they said, absolutely not, we will not. And he said, then you're going to burn in my fiery furnace. And they said, our God is able to save us even from the flames, but even if he doesn't, we will still not bow because we believe in the one true God. So he throws them into flames and they all freak out because they throw three men in bound with straps and there's four men standing in the flames. And Nebuchadnezzar calls for them to come out and the three men walk back out. And what we know is that that was God in the midst and the mighty hand of God was keeping the flames from burning them. The the scripture records that they came out with the straps still on them which led to a massive repentance of King Nebuchadnezzar he says this God is the God that we all need to be worshiping it was that mighty hand of God that did that it was the mighty hand of God that when Joseph was betrayed by his brothers beaten and all kinds of horribly degrading disrespectful things and cheated and lied and all kinds of stuff that went against him it was God that his mighty hand used him in an amazing way to be able to set up the way to redeem the nation of Israel later down the road. It was the mighty hand of God that for thousands of years has been delivering God's people according to his promises. And let me just say one more thing. It is the mighty hand of God that when Jesus said, I'm lay my life down and I have the power to raise it up again. It was the mighty hand of God that when Jesus was crucified on the cross, he was buried in the tomb. It's the mighty hand of God that rose him from the dead, conquering sin and death and and achieving for us a way that we could be made right with God. That is the mighty hand of God, which we submit ourselves underneath. Now, I know you're at your home, but somebody say, Amen. Now, somebody say, Preach it. Now, here's my favorite. Somebody say, Come on. Somebody say, Hallelujah. Amen. It is is the mighty hand of God that for thousands of years has delivered God's people from pain and from chaos according to His promises. And so the first command that we have 
is that we must submit ourselves to the one who, who to the only one who can deliver us. So we must submit ourselves to the only one who can deliver us. Amen. Then verse 7 says, Casting all your cares on Him because He cares about you. Literally, that word casting means to throw. So throwing your cares. And the word cares is uh, the way we would better understand it with our terminology would be anxieties and worries. And so he says, throwing all of your anxieties and worries on Him, God, because He cares for you. That's the literal way. And then we can take away like what, what this is getting at. The, the spirit of this text is saying, hand over the responsibility of your worries. You feel like you have the responsibility to be anxious and to worry. And remember, he's talking to these people who are being persecuted because of their beliefs. Um, they're, they're possibly losing job, possibly living, um, losing uh, their homes. And they are being ridiculed and, and made fun of by their surrounding community and disrespected. And so he says, cast all your anxieties and worries on God because he cares for you. Church, that's a word for us. Let me, let me try and illustrate it. I've got a, a friend of mine named Lance Anding. He's one of my best friends, and he was uh, one of my roommates in college. And uh, here over the last few years, he's gotten really into um, white-tailed deer hunting in East Texas. And um, I, I go down there, whenever I go down there uh, during hunting season, I hunt with him, and he's done a phenomenal job getting into the game or into the sport and, and learning about deer and hunting them. Well, last year, he harvested a pretty good-sized deer, um, and they'd walked pretty far back into some private land uh, that they had access to hunt. And uh, he shoots this deer, and he starts dragging it over and down all these hills. And, and, and as he tells me the story, he's like, Tyler, I was so embarrassed, man. But I literally, I've, I've never done that type of a drag before. I've never done that type of a physical exercise. And it's been a long time since I've been in good physical shape. And... Um, and he's like, man, I was, about to, I was about to throw up and I was about to pass out. And uh, thankfully, his cousin, who is a seasoned veteran, white-tailed deer hunter, um, he was much more capable of dragging. And so he drug it the rest of the way while Lance recovered. And, and I know that we would all, if we were there with him, we'd be making fun of him and laughing at him. But I tell that story um, to, all in good fun, right? Making fun of him in good fun, in good Christian love. Um, but I tell that story to illustrate... That was a weight that Lance was not capable of pulling on his own. It was too much for him to handle, so he had to let his cousin, who had done it a thousand times, take over. Friends, let me just tell you, there is enough stress and anxiety and worries in the world that you, on your own, cannot handle them all. That is a weight that is too heavy for you to drag. And so what Peter is telling his believers to do is he's saying, hand over the responsibility of your worries to the Lord. We've got a lot of worries going on right now, whether it be with COVID-19 or um, I know of some medical diagnosis in our churches that are just, that are just scary. And I, I also know of some, some men and women that have been laid off. <laughs> We are a very energy-dependent state, whether it's coal or oil and gas. And both of those are tanked right now. And it's a struggle. And I know that there's lots of my friends and family and even some families in our church that are, that are being affected by this in a, in a severe way. 
Friends, that, that's too much weight to drag on your own. So what God is calling you to do right now is to hand over the responsibility of your worries. Let God, who has the mighty hand, let Him handle your worries. You just trust Him. I try and develop a practice where every time we're walking through the text, when when it's clear in the text, I want to clearly just point to why it's amazing to be a Christian, to why it's amazing to know God. And, And one of the things in this passage right here, cast all your anxieties and worries on Him because He cares for you. At some point, your friend's good vibes and thoughts are really just ineffective. It doesn't matter what someone thinks for you. It doesn't change anything. Maybe, maybe it's a friend or a family that... And What I'm getting at is if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if your life has not been radically changed by the realization that you're a sinner and you need to be forgiven of your sins and that you, and you know that God sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins so that you could be made right and be forgiven and you've then accepted that faith and you've turned and followed Jesus and your life has been changed radically, if that's not you, then, then, then what I would say is that that's a, that's a Christian life who's changed. It's a non-Christian life who hasn't. So if you're not a Christian... How do you carry the weight of your burdens? So you've got the answer that I can do it all on my own. Except that God right here is saying that you can't. And so then you find yourself at odds with God saying that no God, I am stronger than everybody else. I can actually do this. So my thought, like I said, that your friend's good vibes and thoughts are ineffective. Maybe it's a friend or a family member that you really trust in. Well, and I don't mean this to be just crazy rude, but we're all going to die. So, so what do we do when the person that we trust and confide in when, they, when they're no longer with us? What I'm getting at is that you don't have anyone to carry this weight with you. But the, the offer from God is that even though you're unworthy because you've sinned, God's made a way for you to be forgiven through His Son, Jesus Christ. And He says that you can, you can throw all the weight and all the, all the stress and anxiety and worries on me And I'll carry it. But you have to follow me. So I want you to consider, why would you not follow Christ? Why would you not follow Christ if He's offering that to you, which no one else can? So the next command we come to in verse 8, it says, Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him. Oh, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, be sober-minded, be alert. That word right there, sober-minded, is literally the, the opposite word and the antonym of drunkenness. And so, from what I've heard, <laughs> drunkenness, I, I've sinned in a lot of ways. I've never been drunk, right? So, so from what I've heard, when, when someone is drunk, there's a lot less inhibitions. They're much more willing to to let stuff come out of their mouth that, that shouldn't come out of their mouth, or to think through things they really shouldn't be dwelling on and do things they shouldn't do. And so what he's saying here is he's saying, you must be clear-minded. Meaning that you're not in temptation of having irrational thoughts run through your head. And so he says, be clear-minded, and then he double-affirms it when he says, be alert. So you must be clear-thinking, and you must be alert, which means a continual state of awareness. Well, what, Peter, what are, you, 
what are you doing? You say we need to humble ourselves to the Lord. We need to give our give the responsibilities of our worries away. And now you're saying that we need to be clear-minded and we need to be constantly alert. Why? Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour, destroy, kill. So the reason you need to be clear thinking and you need to be continually alert is there is a very real threat on your soul, which is Satan and his satanic influence in this world. And so now we we come to a really unique passage in this book because up until this point, Peter hasn't even mentioned the enemy. In in chapter 1, we see that uh, God uses suffering as the fiery thing that refines us and makes us better. Um, In chapters 3 and 4, we see that um, suffering in the Christian life is to be expected. Um, We look at Christ. He's our example when it comes to suffering. And then suffering in the Christian life needs to be endured because it's all worth it in the end. And so uh, it's it's used by God to grow us in our love for God. It's, It's to be expected in the Christian life. And we're to endure those things. And knowing that God is with us in the endurance. And God is with us in our suffering. And He's causing it for good. And so... Um, God is sovereign of our suffering. I'm not saying He brings it all into your life, but every bit of suffering does come to you through God's sovereign allowance of it, and He is faithful to love you and be faithful to you in it. And so, now He says, the enemy's here. And so, what, what, is, what is Satan doing in our suffering? Well, it says that he is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. And so we see there's to be tr- two truths that, that coincide well together. And that is that God is with you in your suffering and Satan's going to try and tempt you in your suffering. Again, that's, that's what Peter's already beginning. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. So that's what God wants them to do. The temptation would be to either give up their faith or to fight back and retaliate. So there's Satan in the midst of it. Um, and then cast your cares on God because he cares about you. Uh, then ignore them as if you don't have any stress or take them all on yourself and don't let God, uh, don't trust God with your stress and your worries. And so there's, there's how Satan can try and tempt you in the midst of that as well. And so what we're doing is we're seeing what Satan does in the midst of our suffering. And what he does is the cowardly, horrible, father of lies, garbage thing that he is, he sneaks up on you and tries to kill you. Friends, there is a very real enemy. So we need, we must be clear thinking for the enemy is trying to kill you. He says he's prowling around like a roaring lion. So prowling means that he's being stealthy. He's sneaking in. But what's he doing when he's sneaking in? says that he's like a roaring lion. Now, what I have understood about lions, and, and, and I have like a weird thing, I love watching lion documentaries. So, um, lions, when they're roaring, they're either challenging the dominance of the king in that area, or they're saying that I have dominion over this place. Now, real quick for us to know, I'm going to put a picture on the screen for you. Uh, the, we've said this before, the Bible cannot mean today what it didn't mean then. Now, 
Uh, I immediately thought of Simba and Mufasa from The Lion King, right? An African lion with a big mane. That's not, those didn't exist in Israel, okay? So, uh, or in Asia Minor. And so typically what we're going to be looking at there is, is more of an ancient Near East. So probably um, a leopard or a jaguar. That's most likely what we're going to be looking at. So again, I'll, I'll throw a picture up on the screens for you. And so he's saying, He's prowling around with stealth light. So he's sneaking in. Think about in the Garden of Eden. Uh, God tells them to rule and, and, and then the serpent comes and he's cunning. He's smart and he's deceptive. He says, you're not going to die. You're just going to be like God. And so he tempts them with disobeying God. And so Satan prowls around with stealth and with secretive, with secrecy and deception. And he's as if he's a roaring, like a roaring lion. So what he's saying is this is my dominion. I'm going to destroy you and destroy God's church because I hate God. That's why we have to be clear thinking and always alert. We can't flirt with sin because Satan is trying to devour you and devour our church. So he says he's looking for anyone to devour. Now, now, let me just say, whenever you feel temptation or things in your life, let's not be the ones that quick to say, well, the devil made me do it. I remember I used to say that all the time in college. It's a terrible way of understanding my sin and temptation. Let us know that in the midst of temptation, God has provided a way for us to be faithful and Satan is providing a way for us to sin. And so we need to know that, that these two things are at war and we must choose to follow God. So, so if Satan is, is, is a phenomenal, like he's a phenomenal enemy. He's good. We can't take him lightly. Um, we know that he's conquered in Christ. So as long as we're in Christ, we're victorious, <clears throat> but he's, he's prowling around like a rolling lion and he's looking for anyone he can devour. What must we do? Here's the third charge, the third command, the third imperative. Resist him firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Resist Him. That word, uh, it, it has the meaning of when pressure is being put on you, you don't cave, you fight. You put your feet in the ground, you stick your heels in, and you fight. You stand level-footed, and you do not give in to the pressure that Satan and his satanic influences is putting on you. Thinking about <clears throat> the audience's context, Satan most certainly is tempting them individually, their church on its own, and uh, the Roman government is under satanic influence. They are uh, explicitly opposing God and his people, and that doesn't come from God. That's a satanic or a demonic-influenced government. And so that's what they were facing. Um, and so, thinking about our context, there's all types of situations where Satan is attacking us personally, our churches as a, as a family and as a body, and then we experience uh, satanic and demonic influences throughout our world with corrupt companies and all kinds of different things in which we see Satan has control over those. I'm not making the same uh, parallel between our governments, and this is not a political message, so don't go there. Um, <clears throat> but he says, resist him. So when pressure is applied, don't cave, stand firm. Firm in what? It says firm in the faith, which means it's the connotation of faith in the gospel in which you've 
believed. So stand firm and don't give in to the pressure from Satan's temptation. Stand firm in your belief that Jesus died on the cross, Jesus saved you from your sins, and Jesus has equipped you and is going to call you to be with Him forever. And so we stand firm in the faith of the gospel, the good news of what God has done for us and what then we must go and tell others about. So friends, whatever it is that you're facing, whatever area of your life that Satan is putting pressure on you to cave into, stand firm in your belief that God has saved you and that God will equip you and that we must get that message out to people. And then I love this. It says, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. When we start suffering, when we start feeling anxiety and worry, we start thinking we're the only ones with that problem. And, and that's, that's an act of Satan to isolate us. That's an act of, of having um, drunken thoughts. So we're not being clear. Thing. We think, oh, we're the only ones that are going through this. God, help me. Why, God, why me? God, why can't you stop this? That's not clear thinking. Clear thinking is, God, you're, you're using this for good. God, you're with me. And God, you suffered more than I ever will. And so I can endure based on your example. And so, clearly thinking, be reminded that you're not the only one with your struggle. I promise you, and whether my promise is true or not, God's promise is. He says, you're not the only one. What an encouraging word this was to the church there in this time because they thought they're the only they They may have been isolated thinking they're the only ones being persecuted, but... Peter's like, no, anywhere the gospel is being proclaimed, they're not big fans of it. And so, you're not alone in your suffering. So you must submit yourself to the only one who can deliver you. You must be clear thinking for the enemies trying to destroy you. And you must resist him firm in your faith in the gospel. Now we come to the comforting word. Verses 10 and 11, he says, The God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To Him be dominion forever. Amen. The God of all grace, which means that all grace belongs to this God. Therefore, there is no such thing as grace outside of God. Grace is um, receiving what you do not deserve. So God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's love, God's endurance, God's strength, all of that, the God of grace, the God of all grace, He's the only place that grace is found. And so it's this God. It's this God who called you to His eternal glory in Christ. Who called you? He personalizes it to these people. He says, God called you. Again, he said, once you were not a people, but now you've been made a people. Once you were in darkness, now you've seen God's marvelous light. And, and so uh, he, he's saying that this same God where all grace is found is a God who has personally called you to the eternal glory in Christ. Throughout this book, he's talked about how at the revelation of Jesus Christ, we will praise him and then all of our suffering will be put into perspective and we'll go, oh my gosh, it was worth it all just to that we could see the Savior. And so what he's saying is that the God of all grace called you to this eternal glory in Christ. He himself will restore, establish, strengthen, and support you. The word restore means vindicate, bring justice. God is going to right every wrong that's ever been done. 
We always get the question, why does a good God let evil happen? He's doing something about it. First off, you're evil. So was I. So if he's going to wipe out all evil, you and me would have been sent to hell forever without any chance of getting right with God. And so you and I, neither one of us want that. But what has he done? He sent his son to die on the cross, taking the wrath of all sin forever. And then in Christ, in the end, he's going to right every wrong. So every evil deed that's ever been done, he's going to vindicate that. He's going to make it right. Through Christ. Okay? So he's going to restore restore them. He's going to establish them as someone who's been persecuted and moved into an area as an exile. And then they're persecuted there as well. They don't have any stability. Uh, They're constantly in fear. And so what, what he says is that when Jesus comes back, God is going to establish them. He's going to give them a firm footing. And he's going to make them steady. And then it says he's going to strengthen you. Again, being ridiculed, mocked, and, and, and treated poorly, that doesn't make you feel strong. It doesn't make you feel like you've accomplished what God wants for you. It makes you feel weak and insecure and insignificant. But, but God says that when Jesus comes, when, whenever He sets up His perfect rule and reign for eternity, He's going to strengthen you. He's going to give you security. Look at the next verse. And He will support you. That word right there means to give you a foundation. Earlier in chapter 2, he says that that we're a spiritual household, uh, a household of God being built up in Christ as living stones. And so what happens is is when Jesus comes back, the, the renovation project of your soul and then all the souls of all those, the church, it'll be done. And we will be complete, fully knowing God, fully loving God. And he says... After you have suffered a little while. Well, anytime you're in suffering, it doesn't seem like a little while. I think about quarantine. I think we're in somewhere around day 25 of quarantine, and it feels like forever. I thought Easter was a month ago. It was last week. Or what it was within two weeks, right? Um, so in the midst of quarantine, it seems like forever. But three years from now, this time of quarantine would have seemed like it went by pretty quickly. Or at least it would be. A distant memory. And so what, what's happening is he's saying that when Jesus comes back, he's going to make every wrong right. He's going to uh, give you steadiness and, and, and so you're not being tossed around by the society that hates you. He's going to give you strength and he's going to give you the firm foundation after we have suffered through this life. That's what he's encouraging this church with, these, these exiled believers, sorry. So friends, at any moment we could suffer for our faith in Jesus. And no matter what suffering we experience in this life, Peter says, look at it with this, it's just a little while. Because this time of suffering in light of eternity, forever, unending joy in knowing God and being known by God, It'll make all this look like just a little while. Praise the Lord for that. And then he says in verse 11, To Him be dominion forever. Amen. I told you that a roaring lion's trying to establish dominion. It doesn't belong to the enemy. It belongs to God. And it's only Christians that in the midst of suffering, persecution, brokenness, chaos, 
job loss, um, medical diagnosis that we don't like. It's only Christians that have the firm foundation and the firm hope to say to God be dominion and control and rule and power forever. Amen. That word amen means let it be so. So Peter is closing his word to these exiled believers, broken, bruised, and persecuted, to God be control and rule forever. Let it be. Church, let that be our song. That in the midst of chaos, in the midst of sickness, in the midst of, of bad medical diagnosis, in the midst of job loss, it's only a little while. To God be dominion forever. Amen. Church, I hope that encourages your souls. We are in a crazy season right now, and it is hard. We will endure. It is only a little while. Let us trust the Lord. Now, before we close with singing praise to God, <clears throat> again, it is only the Christian that can have the sure, steady hope that says to God, be dominion forever. Amen. Because you may think you have hope, but if it's not in Christ, then it will pass away. Christ is the only thing eternal. Christ is the only one who paid for your sins on the cross. He died, He was buried, and He rose from the dead. He's the only one that when you put your faith in Him, it actually matters. So as I've challenged you earlier to the non-Christian, I now ask you again, would you consider, meaning think deeply, and have you considered, thought deeply about following Jesus? Maybe it's in the midst of all this, you're realizing the anxiety and the stress is too much, and you say, I need someone else to carry this for me. Christ will carry this, and He also carried your sins to the cross, and He died in your place. He is a worthy God to follow. And more than the forgiveness, I don't know if I say more than forgiveness of your sins, but it's not just about getting a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's about getting to know the God that cares for you. Oh my goodness, the joy and the love that He has brought to my life. If you want to follow Him, I want to give you that opportunity. What I'm going to do is I'm going to say a prayer. And I'm just going to pray through this passage. And I'm going to declare things that are true, meaning that you'd be surrendering your life to giving up your sin, giving up your worries, giving up your stress, you're going to follow Jesus. So if you want to do that tonight, I invite you to pray with me. Let's pray. God, I have been proud. God, I've carried all my worries. God, I did not think clearly about you. But tonight I changed my mind. Tonight, I want to submit to you. I want to give you my anxiety. I want to be clear thinking. I want to resist Satan. I want hope of restoration. Hope of being made new. 
I believe Jesus died for my sins. And by the mighty hand of God, He rose from the grave. Forgive me of my sins. Give me your Holy Spirit. Help me follow you all my days. I give you my life. Do with it whatever you please. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I want to know. Uh, go on our website um, or click the Connect card that you see um, on our Facebook page or on our YouTube page and, and fill that out so that we can get in touch with you. Now, we're going to close uh, a little differently. Um, we're going to sing our, our song just like normal. And then after that, I'm going to come on and I'm going to do the announcements. And then we're going to pray for Boyd Avenue Baptist Church. Um, and then we're going to close the service with, uh, with something different. Again, me and my family miss you so much. And we, we were just like, man, we, we want to sing with them. And we can't sing with you in person. But what we did is before we recorded this, we got our kids together and we sang uh, the doxology, which is uh, a, an old and famous song. And it is a great song. It's short. Uh, and so we just sang that a cappella. And there's going to be words on the screen. And so uh, we want you, uh, whether you're single, whether you're a grandparent, whether you're a parent, uh, whatever it is, we want you to sing that song with us, from with our family to you. Uh, we just want to sing with you. Uh, and so uh, let's worship the Lord through song. And then again, I'll do the announcements and prayer. And then we'll close with singing the doxology together. Um, I love you, church. May you have been encouraged by God's word tonight. 